excellent to uh, be able to share his word with you this morning, whether you're here in person or if you're listening online on YouTube or on, on our podcast. Grateful for it, grateful, and hopefully that uh, as we share this morning that your heart's truly open to his voice and that uh, you take, take it to heart what uh, his desire would be for us and for you as individuals, us as a group. Uh, last week, uh, you were not here. None of you showed up. Um, it was the ice storm. I didn't either. Uh, but uh, last Saturday, we talked about the idea of, of Advent and the, the anticipation of his arrival and how for most of us, that, that idea is that we're looking back to the manger and when we look back and read about the people who were waiting for his arrival, the arrival in the manger, they weren't, they weren't just looking back. They looked back to promises, but they were looking ahead to an event. And we realized that, that we should have that same focus. That yes, we can look back and celebrate the arrival of Jesus on the planet. But his idea for us now is that we better be looking ahead to his second coming. And that we would be living our lives in light of that. Uh, realizing that when he returns, how does he want to find us? Because he is returning. And we can get into that place where we think, eh, it hasn't happened yet, so it's probably a long way off. Jesus is coming soon. I've heard that my whole life. He's coming soon. He's sooner today than he was yesterday. And that we would be living our lives in that way. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear that, you can find it online. I would encourage you to. But we're going to jump into the, to part two today uh, of Advent. I just simply want to call today the original. The original. Uh, the original simply means the first or the earliest. And uh, I was reminded as I was preparing for this, we had a friend of mine years and years ago when I was still a youth pastor, one of the kids showed up uh, at the farm where I was living and he had this car and he was so excited. He came and he's like, Mark, you got to see my new car. And it was like, he told me what year it was. I'm like, that's 20 years ago. He's like, yeah, but you got to come see it. It still has the original paint. I'm like the original paint. All right. So again, came out and see this car. And there was some original paint left on it, but there was original rust, original tires, original 350,000 kilometers. I was like, but he was so excited because it had the original paint. Because there's something about the original that's exciting. There's something about the original that's important. Uh, for instance, you know, it's, it's actually important for us to be able to recognize when something's original and when it's not. Uh, we'll just do a quick little test. How many of you can tell me which of these is the original Mona Lisa? Uh, any ideas? We're going to go with the left. For those of you who thought the right, don't shout it out. Uh, it's important that you know which is the original and which is not. We went on a trip a number of years ago and uh, as a family, and we were in the Bahamas, and as we were uh, there, um, one of my brother-in-laws went out and bought these Oakley sunglasses, and he came back. He's like, I can't, he said, I can't believe it. You know, he says, it's amazing how the dollar works. They can sell Oakleys for so cheap here. I was like, uh, I don't know if those are Oakleys, you know, they say Odie's on them, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's important to recognize whether something's original or whether it's a knockoff. It's important to know what's original. Uh, and some things, some things get improved over time. The original is actually not as good as what you have now. For instance, if you've seen the Lion King movie, the brand new one is so much better than the original. Some of you are like, no, no, the original's all, all we, yes, I know, I see the hate coming from this side, all right, but... But for some of us, it's like, man, like, it's definitely improved. Another thing that's improved is flavor. You know, for those of you who are used to the original Lay's or Ruffles potato chips, you know, now they, instead of having to dip it in your dressing, they just put it all on there for you. And all dress is definitely improvement. Some things improve over time. Some things do not improve over time. The original 1932 Toronto Maple Leafs, you'll see them pictured here, have a Stanley Cup with them in the picture. They have not improved over time. Here's our response to the current Maple Leafs. We th thought we had it. We thought we had the cup this year. 
but it doesn't improve over time. You know, one of the things that I re- we, this, uh, this year, um, this week, actually, we celebrated Dutch Christmas, which they celebrate on December 5th. The Dutch love Christmas so much, they celebrate it twice. So we had uh, uh, this, this family get-together, and as we sat around the table, we played this game called Telephone Pictionary. For those who are not familiar with it, do you remember telephone from way back in the day? As kids in your school, you tell someone a message, and they pass it around, and by the time it started off, like the big man fell off the wall, and back here, it's like the cat drowned in the toilet. It's like, it just gets messed up all the way. It morphs all the way around. Well, this is that, but with pictures in between. So you get to draw the pictures as it goes around. And uh, as we play at the end, there's just laughter as you see how the story has changed and you see the pictures and you see the characteristics and the birthmarks of the people on there that you're drawing about. And then there's some people laughing and then there's some people so offended. They're like, my eyebrows are not that bushy, you know, or, you know, I do not look like that. Or I am not marrying Reese Constable, <laughs> whatever it may be. I know, we should just videotape our family sometime. It would be worth watching just for humor. But uh, the thing about telephone pictionaries is different from the original telephone is you can go back and see the first card that was written. Here's the sentence that was written. You can realize, oh, it might have turned into this, but this is how it started. It wasn't offensive. It wasn't mean normally. It wasn't, it wasn't what you thought it was. It wasn't what it's morphed into. And I find that that's what's happened with the, the message uh, of Christmas as well, the message of Christianity uh, the good news for us is that we can go back to the, what was originally written down. The message of Christmas has so changed and morphed over time. You know, it's now about St. Nick and Sinterklaas on ending Christmas carols. Uh, to, you know, Santa Claus and Rudolph, ugly sweaters and apparel. Busy, 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 the lights, the gifts, the malls. Find the perfect tree and then home to deck the halls. The wrapping, endless wrapping, tape and paper everywhere. That impossible person to buy for, just stressing out your air. You know, awkward family dinners, the eating more and more and more, adding inches to your middle. Well, that's what New Year's diets are for. Then uh, Boxing Day, you know, more sales, more deals, more lines, more stuff, more stress, going home to check your visa bills and cleaning up the mess. It's all a blur, then gone again. Hope there was some Christmas cheer. Is this the reason why it's called the most wonderful time of the year? You know, we think about Christmas and we think, man, yeah, it's definitely morphed into something other than what it originally was. I think the message of Christianity has as well. You know, it's morphed into something uh, over time. And, and for you, maybe you're here this morning or listening online. And, you, you know, as you think about Christianity, you're like, I don't, I don't think I can uh, believe what these people believe. I don't, you know, I think these people are crazy. Or maybe for you, you grew up in church and you walked away because you heard a morphed version of Christianity. Maybe you heard something like similar to what happened way back in the day when Christianity was just a few years old. People came around and said, you know what? It's not just Jesus forgives. You, you got to accept Jesus, but you got to become Jewish as well. You got to keep all the rules of the Old Testament. And maybe that's what you heard as you were growing up. As not even a few years after that, all of a sudden people were saying, oh, Jesus didn't return. You know what? There's probably no resurrection. Just be a good person for goodness sake, because it's just about this life. There's no resurrection. And maybe you've heard that message as well. Or maybe you look back at Christianity and see the crusades of Rome and think, how could all of this bloodshed be Christianity? I, if that's it, I, I don't want it. And then it morphed into penance and prayers and priests where you could try to earn salvation that was supposed to be free. Maybe you heard messages back in the day. God is angry. God hates sinners. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. And they slammed the podium. I did it too hard last night. I hurt myself. So, but maybe you heard that and you're like, uh, okay, I don't know if I'm up for that. Or maybe you heard the opposite. You know, where people would say, you know, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healed. 
All you, you can get God to do whatever you want. If you just twist that faith handle, just build up your faith and God will have to move in your life. And that didn't happen and you were like, oh, I don't know about this. Or maybe it was the opposite where, God, where it was people like, God wants you to be rich. If you'll just send me money and make me richer, just send me more of your money. God is going to make you rich. Bless God. <laughs> and he looked at it and thought, man, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Or maybe for you, as many of us have experienced, you've met somebody who said they called themselves Christian and, and they look down on you as a result of that. They thought that they were better than you and that's always what came across. And then you saw how they treated people or treated you and it was worse than people who didn't call themselves Christians. And that just that hypocritical thought came into your mind of saying, you know what, if that's what Christianity is and I want nothing of it. And maybe you've abandoned, walked away from faith because of that, because of one of these versions. But can I tell you that maybe you've walked away or you've said, hey, I don't want anything to do with Christ unnecessarily. Is it possible that, that we've allowed or that our world has heard a morphed version of Christianity? Is it possible that we have allowed a morphed version of Christianity to be our message? The good news is we can go back to the original. We can go back and see what it was really meant to be and realign ourselves with what the original good news message was. We don't have, uh, the good news is we have original manuscripts. We don't have the actual ones that were penned, but we have copies that are so close in date and time to that and thousands of them that we know what was written on those letters and in those manuscripts 2,000 years ago. We know who wrote them for, mo for the most part. And we know that what they wrote, it wasn't just a couple people trying to make up a story. Luke tells us himself that he starts his letter by saying, many people have decided to write about what's happened. What happened? Well, a man rose from the dead and that's never happened before. Why would anybody write about a, a nobody from, from Judea, a, a carpenter's kid? They, they didn't do that back then, but they wrote about somebody who rose from the dead and they wrote a lot. And they told us, this is what happened. It's like that show W5. What do they want to know? They want to know who, what, where, when, and why. Well, Luke and Matthew, Luke says, you know, I've, carefully investigated everything he says in Luke 1 verse 3. I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I'm not writing a story. I've asked questions and I'm telling you what happened. He says, I've also decided to write an accurate or a careful account for you. Most honorable Theophilus, why am I writing it? So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. All that stuff you heard about this man named Jesus. He says, Theophilus, I wrote it all down. I went and I asked everybody that I could find and I put the details down so you could know. Luke and Matthew answered the first four questions, the who, the what, the where, and the when. They talked about Joseph and Mary, the who. Where? Bethlehem. What? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, they talked about shepherds being in a field, about angels arriving with a message, a message that terrified them. And so the angels response to them in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 was this, but the angel reassured them to these shepherds, don't be afraid. Here's the message. The very first message that came when Jesus was born. I'm bringing you... What's that word? Good news. I'm bringing you good news that's going to bring great joy to all people. Not just Jewish people. Not just, you know, good people. I got good news for all people. He said, here's the good news. The Savior. Yeah, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Here's what happened. This is what he says. This is what happened. And John would later tell us why it happened. The who, the what, the where, and the when. But John would tell us, you know why this happened? He would write about it, and the reason is this. Jesus came to reveal what God the Father was really like. 
One of the reasons he came to the planet was to show people what God was really like. He said in John 17, as he prayed for his disciples and us, he says, I, Father, I revealed you to them. I've shown them who you are. In John 14, verse 9, he says to Philip, when he's asking, Philip says, Jesus, just show us the Father. What's God really like? He's like, Philip, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who's seen Jesus, they know what God's like because I'm him. Paul would later write to the Colossian believers and said that Christ, Jesus, he's the visible image of the invisible God. I can't see God. I wonder what he's like. He's like, look at Jesus. Jesus is what, is what God is like, how God treats people. Because the Jewish people had an idea of what God was like. They knew things like, you know, yeah, he's the creator of this whole planet. He's the one God. We know that. We know there's only one God. Not like all the Roman gods and all the Greek gods. They don't understand. There's just one God and he's ours. And we know, we know who he is. But this one God that they knew about, they had a whole bunch of things wrong about him. They mistook his justice and thought that he was judgmental and condemning. They mistook his anger at sin and thought that he was angry at sinners. They thought that by keeping his rules, Man, if I do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, if I keep all ten, I can earn relationship with God. And God's simply saying, I didn't, that you don't earn a relationship with me. I gave you these family rules because we are already in a relationship. They didn't understand. They mistook a number of things. They thought that if you were healthy and if you were rich, then God was blessing you. You must have been a good person and God's blessing is on you. On the flip side, if you were sick and if you were poor in the time where Jesus was born, they all thought, man, you're a sinner. God's cursed you. If you were blind, your parents must have been extra sinful for you to be born blind. They thought that you love God by keeping his rules when his intention was that you would love God by loving one another. And so Jesus grew up and he began to teach and tell stories of what God was like. He came to the planet, I want you and you and you and you and you and you. I want you to know what God, your father, is really like. And so this morning, I encourage you just to listen in on the original version. Because maybe for you, it was one of those morphed versions. Maybe for you, you tried living like, oh, Christianity is keeping the Ten Commandments. Maybe Christianity was like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a better person or whatever it is. And maybe Christianity is, I'm going to have lots of faith and God will do my bidding. And you found all of those things to be empty. Would you listen to what the original version of who God revealed himself to the planet and how he did? Some think that what I'm about to share right now was kind of like Jesus' code of conduct. As he taught the Sermon on the Mount and as he taught the Sermon on the Plain, it was like, here's the new Ten Commandments. I've just reworded them. But I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to do when he shared those messages. Because at the end, he says, this is, this is who your father is like. Let's look together. Luke chapter 6. I'll give you a minute if you have your Bibles open there. Grab it on your phone uh, or read along on the screen. Look, Luke 6 verse 32. Jesus was saying this to a group of people gathered there. Some Jesus followers, some of the ones who were regulars, some of the curious, some of the ones who were, you know, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees who came just trying to trap him. Whole group of them. He said to them this, if you love, and the word, the word love's like this agapo. If you unconditionally love only those who unconditionally love you back, why should you get credit for that? He said, why, why, and the word credit is actually the word grace. He says, why should you get grace for that? Even sinners love those who love them. That's just what people do. He says in the next verse, if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get grace for that? Even sinners do that much. 
Verse 34, if you lend money only to those you know can repay you back. He says, what, uh, why should you get grace for that? Even sinners will lend other sinners for a full return. He's like, why do you think you should? He said, what kind of grace is that? This grace that's like expected. I'll do for you because I'll know you do for me. I'll scratch your back because you can scratch mine. Uh, it's expected, expected grace, deserved grace. And as he asked them those questions, because that's what they were, you know, thinking, hey, this is what you do. He gives them a description of God. And here's what he says to them. These hard words. He says to that group, love your enemies. Do good to them. You know, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Lend to the people who treat you poorly. Lend to the one you know who's stealing it from you. And we think, what? <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that's, I thought Christianity was going to make my life better. This doesn't sound better. But he says to them, he says, then your reward in heaven will be very great. You'll truly, and here's the, here's the key, you'll truly be act, um, acting as children of the most high. He says, then you will look like children of God. Why? Because he is kind. And the word kind is actually the word gracious. He's gracious to those who are unthankful. And the word is actually ungracious. He offers grace to those who don't offer grace to others. To the unthankful, to the ungracious, and to the wicked. The wicked, what's the wicked? The ones who are evil, bad, with a broken nature. And we're like, we know some people like that. The problem is, you know someone like that way better than you realize. And it's the person we look at in the mirror. That if we're honest with ourselves and we look at ourselves, we realize, you know what? You, deep down inside, no matter how good I'm able to act or behave, there is something inside of me that's broken. There's a part of me that I have to apologize for when I say those mean words. And then there's those times where I say them under my breath, but I meant them. They never heard them. You know, or the, for those of you who are still not convinced that that's all of us, what if this morning, if I had the ability... I had a little device that I would simply say, as I put this little cap on top of your head, it will just show on the big screen all of your thoughts from this past week. Who would volunteer to be first? <laughs> We're like, oh, no, 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 not even I. Why? Because we just know yeah, down in there, there's some stuff that I just really wouldn't want everyone else to see. And that's what he says. You know what? That's who he's gracious to. That's who he offers compassion to. In verse 36, he says, you must be compassionate. Why? Because your father's compassionate. And he describes God and saying, you know, grace, grace is this unearned, undeserved, unearnable thing. The moment that you think you deserve grace, it's not grace anymore. He says, there's no room for our self-righteousness. I read this beautiful poem this morning that simply talked about when we trade with God, our life for his, we give him our bad deeds and he gives us forgiveness. But the truth is we actually have to give him our good deeds as well. That there's no credit for all those good deeds or bad deeds. None of what we have in our, of our own has any value. We trade that for what he did for us and he calls it grace. He offers grace to the ungracious and to the wicked. That's what God is really like is what he was saying. There's a movie out right now, uh, Mr. Rogers. Has anybody seen it? A few? Some are like, I'm not admitting to that. <laughs> if you say, <laughs> I want to go see it. So, uh, but just don't, if you've seen it, don't tell me. But there's another movie on Netflix that actually just outlines the life of Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. And they just have di dialogue with some of the people who worked around him, the ones who were closest to him, the ones who helped produce the show. And they, they asked, you know, what was he like? Tell us, tell us about Mr. Rogers. And, and they said, you know, the thing about Fred Rogers is 
that he actually lived out what we think love looks like, what love should be. He, he loved people without any conditions. He'd love children, and he would show love to children. There was a child in a wheelchair. It didn't matter. Disabilities didn't matter. He'd show, he'd show love to those crazy wild children, the, the ADHD children before they were diagnosed. You know, they're super crazy. And the, the guy who runs the show, uh, one of the cameramen, he's like, oh, those little brats. And he actually had worse names for them. He's like, I couldn't stand them. But Fred, he just showed love to them. And it didn't matter, you know, what, what, they were, what their activities were like. It didn't matter their race, their skin color. He showed love to them. And it was fascinating as the adults as well said, you know, working with him, he said that he showed love in, in ways that we, we just didn't see back then. You know, when racial tensions were high, Fred was like, we got to have somebody of color on our show. We got to make sure that, that that's going to happen. I, be, I want people to see that we can love one another. And then when he found out as they, as they went along that men and women, it didn't matter. He showed the same uh, love to each of them. And then uh, found out that one of the people, the sexual orientation way back already then, that it was the, the one guy was homosexual. He's like, you know what? He says, he says, I've been telling you for two years that I love you. And he said that after two years, the other guy said, I finally get it, that somebody would just simply love me. I thought, man, what an incredible thing. To the people who were his enemies, people who hated Fred Rogers, who wrote negative things about him in the media. You know his response? Won't you be my neighbor? I thought, man, what a fascinating thought. It reminded me of a story that Jesus told, one that's so famous we're not actually going to tell the story today, but just set up where the story was told. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, one day an expert in religious law, somebody who knew all the rules and said, I'll find a way to trap Jesus, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. You just picture it. Here's Jesus with a whole crowd. And here comes that guy. He's like, hey, I have a question, Jesus, if you're willing. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay. He's like just rubbing his hands. All of his buddies in the background were like, oh, we got him this time. For sure we got him this time. Teacher, he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This eternal life you're talking about, what, should, what do I do to inherit that? What do I do to earn that? And Jesus just brilliantly replies with a question. Hey, well, why don't you tell me? What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, knowing that the greatest commandment for every little Jewish boy was this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. It was a thing that they had repeated over and over, probably every day at home. It was their thing. They had, this was the one thing. But this guy was smart. He had been around when Jesus had shared this with other people. And Jesus said, there's not just one great commandment. There's two. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can see that, that religious leader sitting there thinking, you know what, okay, Jesus, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and the other one that you added, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus simply says to him, you're right. You've been listening. You're right. So you know what? Go, go and do that then. And you'll live. And it says in verse 29, the man who wanted to justify his actions he thought he was earning it. He thought he was doing it. He didn't go to this question thinking, you know, man, I, I just treated everybody in this crowd poorly. He was like, no, you know, I've been, I've been doing this. I've got him now. And he gets to that place and wanting to justify his actions, he says to Jesus, you know, Jesus, who is my neighbor? What's that question really asking? Jesus, who do I have to love? Who do I really have to love? The truth is Jesus answered that question many times over. In this particular story, he answers it with the story of the Good Samaritan. 
We know the story, the man on the road and, and the pastor walks right on by and the worship leader walks right on by. And, and then this Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, the race that everybody in the community despised is the one who gets down on his knees and is compassionate and overly takes care of this person, takes him to the inn, pays more money than is required, takes such good care of him. What does Jesus say? Jesus asks him and says, hey, which one's the neighbor? And he says, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, now you go and you do the same. That's what loving your neighbor looks like. But Jesus answered that question all the time. In John chapter 13, he tells his disciples, I want you to love one another. Who are we supposed to love, Jesus? Love one another the way that I love you. And as we read earlier in Luke chapter 6, he says, you know what? Don't just love the people around you. Don't just love one another. Love your enemies. Love the ones who hate you. We ask that question, why? And Jesus would simply say, because that is what God is like. That is what your heavenly father is really like. God is love. John, years later, after all of his friends had died, after he had watched just torment and terrible things happen over and over and over again, he's waiting for Jesus to return. And like, John, John tell us what Jesus is like. What do you, and John writes it down. God is love. Brothers, let's love one another for love is of God. Anyone who knows God, uh, loves God, is, is known by God. He says, and he writes down this thing. He says, for God is love. I'm still convinced of it. God loves people. And I know it because he showed it through the life of Jesus. You know, you look at the life of Jesus, the original message, the original messenger. <laughs> Jesus showed people love. He showed, he showed love in, in ways like this to a Samaritan woman who'd been married and divorced five times. Jesus showed her love. You ever picture that? Here's Jesus sitting at the well with this woman. And there they sit together and she starts asking him questions and she's like, you know, just, let's, just get to the, let's just get to the bottom line. You know that man you're living with? That, he's actually the sixth. You know, the five guys you've married and divorced <laughs> They're, you know, they're, they're not your, none of them are your husbands. And the guy you're living with right now and sleeping with, he's not your husband. What would the typical response to that be today? Why you? If you went out and told somebody all of their sexual history and said, hey, you know, this is what I know about you. Would their response be? You must be the son of God. You're an amazing man. I actually have to go and tell everyone else about you. You told my whole story. You know all my details. I, here, just wait right here. Hey, everyone, he knows everything about me. You got to come and see this guy. And they're like, we know everything about you too. Uh, but he's like, no, let's go see. How does that happen? Because I think in this exchange here, such love came across in the way that Jesus showed love to this person that their response could only be, you are so much greater than me. Whatever you have, I need. And so does everyone I know. I don't want them to miss out. He showed love to a diseased and outcast leper by touching him, which somebody, no one else would do. He showed love to a woman caught in sexual sin, caught in the act of adultery. We sometimes wonder, what do we do with all these people in their sexual sin? How are we supposed to treat them? How are we supposed to, are we let them in the church? We not let them in the church. What did Jesus do? He simply said, listen, <laughs> after everyone else has stopped talking, Woman, I don't condemn you. I came to pay the price for that sin. Now just go and sin no more. You're free. Just go live free and know that I love you. You know, he showed love to a hated tax collector, Zacchaeus, climbing up in a tree to see Jesus. He says to him, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house for dinner today. What? 
Everyone else is looking, Jesus, you must not know. He's like, yeah, he's a tax collector. Zacchaeus, invite all your buddies. We're hanging out with you today. Why? Because he showed love to someone everyone else hated. To another hated tax collector named Levi. He said, Levi, why don't you come follow me? Why don't you come join my posse? Come be where I am and showed him incredible love. He showed love to a Roman centurion who everyone hated and said, you know what? I'm going to heal your servant. And showed love to a disabled man on a mat as he came down through the roof and told him, you know what, son, your sins are forgiven. And the man probably was like, that's not what I came for. I would rather be healed. He's like, okay, we'll do that too. He showed love to women and children by valuing them as equals, which no one else would do. It's one of the reasons why women and children should follow Jesus. The reason that value, we understand the value of, of, of women and children today that they didn't then is because of things Jesus said and did. He showed love to his friend Peter. Peter, the one who abandoned him when he was in his hour of greatest need. We're BFFs till you need me, then see ya. Jesus restored him. He showed love to a criminal on a cross as Jesus hung on a cross with a criminal hanging beside him, a criminal who knew he deserved his punishment. <laughs> he says, I know I deserve this. I deserve the punishment I'm getting, but Jesus, would you show me grace? And Jesus says, you know what? I will show you grace. You will be with me in eternity. And he showed love to his enemies. You know, it wasn't just a story that he said, hey, love your enemies. That's good. something you guys should do that's good. So he hung on a cross with two nails in his hands, nails through his feet, the lifeblood running out of him down that cross and onto that ground, pushing himself up so he could take that one breath, so he could speak the words that were there when most people at the end of their lives in that place would have screamed out curses on the people who put them on that tree. You're begging, kill me, just make it end. Jesus simply hangs there and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. You know, we think about the enemies. We think, yeah, he's probably saying that to those Romans who put those nails in. He's probably saying that to the to the Pharisees on the outskirts who'd put him through the mock trial and put him here without reason. Yeah, Father, forgive my enemies. But Paul actually tells us through the book of Romans who Jesus was talking about. Romans 5 verse 8, he says this, but God showed his great love for us. Not just a list of people I went down, but he showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, for you, for me. While we were still sinners, since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. An enemy of God? (laughs) That's a harsh term. But you know, we put ourselves there. God, I just want to do it my own way. I got this. I don't need you. I don't need there to be a God. I I don't need to acknowledge that there's a creator. I don't need any of that. Made ourselves enemies and realized in the end, we were the ones lost. He said, but you know what? Even when we were enemies, that's when he did it. That's when he showed his love. It wasn't after we got our act together. It wasn't after we started going to church services more. It wasn't after we tried to behave better. It wasn't after whatever. He simply said, When we were his enemies, he showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us. We'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. Verse 11, so now we just get to rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That is the original message of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, we read it earlier. I bring you good news, good news that will bring great joy to all people. All people who realize that 
Yes, I'm the one broken. Yes, I'm the one who's got, I've got sin on my record. I'm that one. He says, guess what? I got good news for you. There's a savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The good news is he sent a savior because that's what we needed. The most famous verse in the Bible reads like this, for God so loved the world that he gave a set of rules, a set of rituals that you do on a Sunday morning. He gave a bunch of services that you could attend. He sent an angel. He sent a prophet. He gave you a messenger or he gave you a book or he gave you a church or he gave you a new religion to follow. God so loved you, he gave you this. It doesn't go like that. The message does not go like that. The original message simply says this, for God so loved you. We think the world, but it's more personal. God so loved you, teenagers. God so loved you, parents. God so loved you in whatever place you find yourself that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And years later, when John wrote his final letters, it's all good, it's just a baby. Everybody's like, oh. Don't miss this part. First John 4 verse 9, God showed how much he loved you. You wonder, does God love me? You never need to wonder that. God showed how much he loved you already by sending his one and only son into the world. That is the message of Christmas so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, he said, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. The original was good news. The angel said it, this is good news. The people wrote, here is the good news of the gospel. Is it still good news today? Crowds follow Jesus. They just leaned in saying, wow, we just want to be wherever this guy is because what he says and what he does is awesome. We just want to be around him. And after he died and rose from the dead, thousands of people followed these apostles around simply because they heard this original message of good news. Where are the crowds today? Is it possible? Is it possible that the message that we've been sharing as Christianity, as us, not as the church, not as Kingsway Church, but as individuals, people who call themselves Christians out in our community, is it possible that we've drifted from what the original message was, that somehow we've got away from what was good news and it's turned into something else? Are we sharing good news wherever we find ourselves? And here's my question for you. Are you an expert on the good news? Are you an expert on it? If not, why not? You know, (laughs) why would we need to be an expert on the original Because being an expert on the original helps you spot a fake. I remember my mom used to tell me back in the day when she worked at Towers. I don't even know what that is, but (laughs) apparently that was a store. Her manager said to her, listen, there's counterfeit bills that come in here sometimes. And so they said, you know what? The counterfeits look like this, but it said, you know, a few different things. We said, don't worry about that. All I want you to do is focus on the original. Know the original so well so that whenever a counterfeit comes in, you'll notice it right away. So the test this morning is we show you these bills. You know which one's the counterfeit? Uh, the one on the screen, you know? What about with art? You did well earlier. How about now? Do you know? There's only very few people who can tell which the difference is between these two. Why? Because they become experts at knowing the original so well, they know which every little wrinkle or crease is out of line. What about the good news? Are you an expert on what the good news really is, what the message of Christmas really is? Because it's gotten morphed. And you wonder, why does it matter? Maybe market matters for you because you're like online. People are going to listen and they could whatever comment or, you know, all of these people in this room could say, oh, we don't, think you, we don't think you know it right. But what about me? I'm just me. Here's what Paul said, and I close with this. 
2 Corinthians 5, all of this is a gift from God. All this good news is a gift from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ. It's what he did through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He didn't just say, hey, come to Christ and now sit in a chair. You're good. He's like, I've given you the message. And I've given you the message. And you the message. And you the message. And you the message. Whether you talk much or not. And you the message. 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 And you out here, the message. And you the message. How's the coffee? Good? Oh, And you the message. And you the message, and you the message, and you, and you, and you, and you. I know, don't look at me, but still you, and you, and you. Oh, man. He said, you know what? It wasn't just that I came to reconcile the world through Christ. I'm giving you that message to do what? To do what? To go out and reconcile people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. What an amazing word. The original purpose and the message was that God was in Christ, bringing people to him, not judging them. If there's there's judgment in the the message, it's it's off in some sense. Because that's not the heart of the message. He says, I wasn't counting their sins against them. I came to save them. And that's what I'm giving you as well. He's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors and God's making an appeal through us. And we speak for Christ and we plead, would you come back to God? Would you come back to God? This morning, maybe you're here. Would you come back to God? Would you come back to the original message of Christmas? The original message of Christianity? If it was wonderful back then, it's wonderful today. If it was good news back then, it should be good news today. He said, he didn't say, come back to a list of rules, come back to religion. Would you just come back and go to my church? Would you come and, you know, uh, uh, follow the 10 commandments? Would you come and do this? I got one thing. Would you come to Christ? The rest figures itself out. Would you come to Christ? Well, I'm not worthy. doesn't matter. Would you come to Christ? You know, you know who he showed grace to? The people who knew they didn't deserve it. And maybe you're here this morning and that's you. You used to go to church, you used to follow Christianity, you walked away, you're like, I don't want that. That's my parents' religion or whatever. I, I don't want, I've seen too much. I, I've heard too much. I don't want any of that anymore. And today you realize it was never about any of that. And you wonder, can I come back? He's saying, yeah, would you come back to, to Christ? Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like, you know what? I, <laughs> if God knew me, like really knew me, and I don't feel like God could love me, I, I don't love me. Do you know what he's saying? Come back to Christ. Come back to someone who loved you enough to already give his life for you. He loves you. The ones who get grace are the ones who aren't expecting it. The ones who don't think they deserve it, they're the ones who get it. And it's on the table for you this morning. And not just for you. Jesus followers, last thought. Have you thought about who you're inviting to the services on Christmas Eve? We're not just doing that so we can sit around and hold candles and be like, oh, silent night, holy night. Oh, that was so wonderful. I feel so warm and fuzzy. There's people around you that need hope, that need truth, that need life, that need some good news in their life. They're not going to hear it unless someone goes to tell them. My mission this A couple weeks ago, as I was driving through town, this town, I wondered, if Kingsway Church ever disappeared, would any of them miss us? Would any of them know that we were even here? Or would they just be grateful that on Saturday nights, our lights don't shine in their windows anymore as we leave the parking lot? And it hit me. 
I thought they got to know. So this two weeks from now, next week, I'm going to go to every door with a gift and an invitation to say, would you come? We want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and we want you to know that Jesus loves you. And maybe we haven't shared that in the past 11 years that we've been here, but we should have. We should have. And these doors are open for you, and these doors are open for your family, and we want you to be a part of our family. We want you to be a part of his family. And so I hope that that night you realize that they're going to be here. And you welcome them with wide open arms like he would and like he has for each and every one of us. Who are you inviting? Because we're on a mission here. He didn't send us to fill buildings. He sent us to reach lost people. He gave you that message. He gave you that message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that we have, we have the original, we have the truth that we can go back and see. And no matter how it's morphed, Holy Spirit, would you breathe truth into our hearts and lives this morning? As we leave this place, may that be what uh, erupts from our lips and our mouths and our hearts. As we meet people, may they see you. May they see you. May they come to know you. May they have the opportunity to know you. For those in this place this morning who just feel challenged to, again, return, give their life back to you. God, I just thank you that you're, <laughs> that you're the one putting that desire in their heart. Pray for courage for them as they take those steps forward in life with you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for incredible love shown to us. May we live our lives in response to that, <laughs> that the world might see you. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.